Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks for joining us on Ashto's ETAP Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. America's roadways are vital to the movement of goods and people, but their safety, condition, and sustainability are continuous concerns. With a goal of zero deaths, zero waste, zero carbon, and zero impact, the Ray is on a mission to improve the safety and ecology of highways. Established in 2014, the Ray is a proving ground for evolving ideas and technologies to transform the transportation infrastructure of the future. Joining us today on the podcast to discuss the work of the Ray is Deputy Director Laura Rogers. Prior to joining the Ray, Laura was an environmental program manager at the Maryland Department of Transportation for six years. Before joining MDOT, Laura worked in the federal and private sectors on environmental management and sustainability issues. Laura, welcome to Ashto's ETAP podcast. Thank you so much, Bernie. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. This is a little bit of a a revisiting, if you will, for this particular episode. For those who are around for our very first episode back in May 2020, the topic was the Ray, and we had, uh, I guess, your boss, uh, Ali Kelly, the executive director of uh, the Ray, who was our guest on that initial episode. But I also realize a lot of folks may not remember all the things that we talked about on that first episode, and at the same time, they may not uh, have even heard that first episode. So we may cover some familiar ground, but I think we're also going to cover some new topics as well, because a lot has happened since May of 2020. That was pretty much near the start of the uh, COVID epidemic. So there's a lot that I think that everybody has learned since that time. Why don't we start off with a very basic question? What is the Ray? Tell me about it. What's your mission? So the Ray is a 501c3 nonprofit public charity. We were founded in 2014. um, And our namesake actually comes from Ray C. Anderson. So to take us back just a little bit so you can understand what is in our DNA as a nonprofit, it's important to understand who Ray was. Ray was born and raised in West Georgia. Um, He was born in West Point, Georgia, and he grew a billion-dollar global business in LaGrange, Georgia called Interface Tile Carpet Company. Um, And so, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, he, you know, worked really hard to create, you know, this global company, fiercely competitive, did a great job, you know, turning this from a very small business into into a giant business. But, you know, he created the company as kind of a typical take make waste kind of endeavor, right? So in, uh, in manufacturing carpet tiles, it's very petroleum heavy. Um, a petroleum-based product. Uh, He used a lot of water, a lot of power goes into it. Um, And basically, you know, once the carpet tiles are done, you throw them into the trash, into the landfill, and it takes about 100 years for them to, you know, degrade. So it's really bad on the environment. You know, in the 1990s, Ray started getting challenged by some of his customers and some other folks asking him, what are you doing for the environment? And Ray's response was basically, you know, I'm following all of the rules. I I have my environmental permits. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. They pushed back on him and said, no, what are you really doing? You are having a a great impact on the environment with pollution. And so, you know, at that time, Ray said, okay, let's go ahead. We'll put together an environmental team. And he kind of tried to pass the buck to some of his staff, his employees. 
they turned it right back around on him and said, you know, we want you to give the kickoff meeting to this environmental group. And so about the same time, a book comes across Ray's desk called The Ecology of Commerce by Paul Hawken. And he starts reading that book and he, a few pages in, he has what he calls a spear in the chest moment where he really started to understand the environmental degradation that his company was having on the earth and how he was basically stealing from tomorrow's children. So he walks into this meeting, this environmental you know, kickoff meeting for the company, um, and he challenges the company to go zero, to go zero carbon. Um, so this is 1994, and we really were not talking about carbon, remember. And so he challenges them to go zero carbon and zero waste, which also includes zero wastewater. And then also to use more renewable energy. So solar was still very expensive in the mid-1990s, but Ray was adamant. And so he put the company on the path of sustainability. And, you know, he gave the company until 2020 to meet these goals. And so, you know, along this journey, Ray documented about $400 million worth of savings by going sustainable. He created a lot of goodwill with his customers. And he also went on kind of the the speaking tour around the country, around the world to try and convince other CEOs to do the same thing. Ray believed that industry, that companies had to lead in this space to actually make a difference. And so what Ray did was he pioneered circular, you know, manufacturing. So instead of take, make waste, he was using the waste to go back into the product Um, And Interface, to this day, they still go dumpster diving to go reclaim old carpet tiles. Um, And they spent a lot of money on innovation to be able to turn that waste into brand new sustainable carpet tiles. The company has actually met their goal for zero carbon. They have a carpet tile now that sequesters more carbon than it takes to make. Um, And they are very, very close to meeting their zero waste goal. And so unfortunately, you know, Ray died in 2011. And so he was not able to see the company meet those goals. But when he passed away, you know, in 2011, in 2014, his youngest daughter, Harriet Anderson Langford, decided to work with the Georgia legislator and the Georgia governor to dedicate a stretch of road of Interstate I-85 in Ray's name. So, you know, the little brown signs, this is a memorial highway dedicated to Racy Anderson. That was what she wanted to do. And she worked with the legislator and the governor to make that happen. And that designation came into place in 2014. And on her way home from the Capitol, Harriet had kind of her own spear in the chest moment where she realized that she put the greenest industrialist name on a dirty highway, an unsafe, dirty highway. And so, you know, Harriet just couldn't let that stand. And she thought to herself, you know, what, what is a sustainable highway? And so she asked her husband to Google it. And so they Googled it. Nothing came up. Some ideas came back, but nothing really, you know, comprehensive for sustainable highways. So Harriet decided that she needed to do something. And she's going to start with that 18 mile stretch of highway that's named after her father. That's how the Ray, the nonprofit was born was, you know, taking a look at this specific 18 mile stretch of highway and turning it into, you know, a beacon of sustainability, doing the same thing for transportation as Ray did for industry. You you have this 18 mile stretch of highway known as the Ray. Making it sustainable is the broad goal of what you're trying to do. There are many 
individual projects that go into that. Tell us about some of those projects and some of the biggest accomplishments that the Ray has experienced since its creation. Our vision is very, you know, similar to Ray's vision, right? So we are vision zero, net zero transportation. Um, So that means zero carbon, zero waste, and zero deaths. So we have to include the safety element into everything that we do, because if we cannot get folks home to their families, then what is it all worth? Um, And so with this 18-mile stretch, the Ray Highway, between the the years of 2015 and 2021 or so, six years, uh, you know, we were able to onboard over a dozen physical infrastructure projects with GDOT, you know, working with them very closely um, to onboard these physical projects. That's a lot of projects in the ground within six years, right? Um, So that is one of the major accomplishments is having this very close relationship with GDOT to be able to try new things, to be able to use this 18 mile stretch as a proving ground, showing in real life that these technologies work to create a net zero transportation highway. That in itself, I think is a huge accomplishment is, you know, the work that we're doing, changing the facts on the ground. And then in 2020, when I joined the team, you know, we decided that we we wanted to expand to the rest of the country to help other transportation agencies accomplish the same things that we are accomplishing in Georgia. You know, now we are working in about 26 different states with almost three dozen transportation agency partners. Mm. And so that includes state DOTs. um, It includes counties, cities, MPOs, not just highways, but also airports, ports, railroads. So, you know, we can take a lot of what we are learning on the Ray Highway and and extend that to partners across the country and, and help them do their own sustainable projects. Um, you know, we are going to continue to push the envelope on the Ray Highway. We're going to continue onboarding new projects, using that as the proving ground, continuing to use it to change the facts on the ground and use it as the shining beacon. But we're also really interested in making making a big difference. We know that that the Ray Highway is critical, right? It's a critical example that this can be done. This work can be done. But to make real lasting big change in the way that we need right now, we need to scale across the country. And that's what we're doing. Now, whether it's what you're doing in Georgia or you're doing in these various projects around the country, obviously not everyone can be involved with every project. Is there a way that this is being documented? So if I'm in another state and I'm particularly interested in one of these projects, I can find out what you did, what you learned, the mistakes that were made, the successes, et cetera? So we are working on that as we speak. Yes, absolutely. We are updating our website with more information on that um, and coming up with some of those reports. As it stands right now, you know, we are having a lot of those conversations just one-on-one with agency partners. The things that went well, the things that didn't go so well, the lessons that we learned, all of that is really important information to share with our partners. Um, And the great thing now too, is that since we are working with so many public transportation agencies, the lessons learned in those other states, we are also sharing that information. 
Um, and so we are acting as a convener between and among the different public agencies, transportation agencies, uh, and also with the private sector so that we can get the lessons learned from not just the Ray Highway, but from other folks who are doing this type of work throughout the country. Uh, I can give one example, you know, right-of-way solar. Right-of-way solar has been very difficult for a while to get on board onto our, onto our roadsides on the interstate. Oregon DOT was the first to install solar along the interstate in 2008, and then it was Massachusetts in the mid-2010s. Um, they onboarded about six megawatts. And then the Ray Highway, we installed our right-of-way solar one megawatt in 2020. And so, you know, those first 10 years of, or so doing these types of projects were very difficult. Just, you know, navigating the policy side of it, the approvals from FHWA, from the state DOTs, how to work with the utilities, all of that. What kind of safety setbacks do we need? But now all of that has been figured out um, because of the three leading states, Oregon, Massachusetts, and Georgia. Um, and we are sharing that information now, the three states, with other states across the country. And this is one of our most popular programs is right-of-way solar. You don't have to just take our word for it at the Ray. We will connect the DOTs, the folks doing these projects, to their peers across the country to also learn from their perspective how to get these things done. Going back to the big picture, you talk about lessons learned. What were some of the obstacles that you faced with getting the Ray up and running? And how have you ever overcome some of those obstacles? Yeah, so some of the obstacles, you know, we we are novel, right? So <laughs> one of the big things that we hear a lot is, uh, you know, how does this work, right? So we work in an expansion of the P3 model. So a P4, public-private philanthropic partnerships. And we believe that adding nonprofits, adding philanthropy into the mix can get things moving faster, easier, create efficiencies. Uh, we can act as the bridge between the public sector and the private sector to get the best of both worlds. As a nonprofit, you know, we're not selling anything except for our mission, right? We're not looking to sell a product or widgets any of that. We really just want to help, you know, our public agencies do these projects so that we can get to net zero transportation. And so this whole idea is brand new to infrastructure. So the P4 model has been around in, you know, the nonprofit world in philanthropy for a while, but it's mostly been applied to human services or you know, other, other type of medical services, things like that. Never before have we done this for infrastructure. And so you know, this, is, this is a brand new idea that most people, just us coming to the door, it's been hard to understand. And so that has been, I think, one of the bigger barriers is just to get people feeling comfortable with how the model works and what it is we're trying to do and really get them to understand that we're not like the private sector. We are our own unique entity, um, and we really are just here to help. You talk about bringing in the, the value of philanthropy to what you're doing there, and obviously that provides some of the funding for what you're trying to do. But when you talk about scaling this out widespread, 
obviously philanthropy is not going to be the the funding mechanisms that's going to make that possible. How do you balance the environmental goals you have with the goal of being economically sustainable with the various projects that you have? That's a great question. So for our funding model to keep the Ray running, we are very much dedicated to raising philanthropy to provide basic services for our public transportation agency partners. So getting them on the path free of charge, um, helping them with technical expertise, convening, all of that so that we can get them going on this path of sustainability. As far as the projects go, then we can start moving into some other models. So creating a fee for service for us as an organization is one such model. And that's something that we will use with our private sector partners um, and also with our public sector partners as well if we do kind of more deep dive handholding into some of these big projects that take more resources. That is a model that we are developing right now to help run the organization. And then as far as, you know, building out the infrastructure. So, you know, there are, of course, the traditional uh, funding mechanisms that the transportation agencies have uh, with IIJA. And now with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of federal funds coming down and they all have mandates, right? All of this money has mandates uh, surrounding environmental sustainability, equity, all of that. This is something that we can help with as well. Um, and those funds are coming down from those traditional sources. So there are a lot of different funding mechanisms and ESG, environmental safety and governance is top of mind for everybody. And we need to meet those standards. In our opinion, in the Ray's opinion, we think that the economic piece of it, it goes hand in hand with environmental. Um, so they are not mutually exclusive, and they really do need to both work out to be widespread, to be sustainable. Many of the folks who are listening to this podcast work at federal, state, local transportation agencies. What processes do you think would create the biggest or fastest impact for those agencies to adopt? Yeah, so this might be a really boring answer, but <laughs> I am going to call out procurement. Mm -hmm. So procurement often stands in the way. Procurement is often a very big barrier for a lot of different reasons. Some states have very uh, strict procurement laws. You know, I came from Maryland DOT. Maryland DOT, you know, has some of the strictest procurement laws in the country. And for good reason, right? This is public money and the DOTs are the trusted public agency that has to spend this money, right? And it's really hard to take risks on new innovative ideas. It's not acceptable to fail with these projects, right? Because there can be safety implications. There you know, is an economic burden. These are public funds. We can't fail with these projects. And so what we can do is to move faster and more efficiently, we can set up cooperative procurement agreements within each state, within each public agency organization. So these are intergovernmental cooperative purchasing agreements, and it's a procurement method that can be used between states. So if Maryland has a contract 
for, you know, EV charging, for solar, for other types of innovative, you know, sustainable projects, they can write in specific language into that procurement, those contracts that then allows other states in the country to ride the contract. And so what we saw in Maryland, the statewide solar program, we had that cooperative language in there for the municipalities in the state, the federal agencies, nonprofit organizations in the state, and the counties started using that contract to build their own solar farms. And it has been hugely successful. And so we can take that from one state and we can use it across the country. And that really helps cut down the time on procurement. But, you know, writing the scope for a procurement is some of the hardest work that people do. So if we can, you know, learn from other states, from other agencies, you know, the procurement documents are key to getting this work accomplished. I think you talked about this and touched on this, obviously, as you were talking about the solar highway and and some of the projects that the Ray has been involved with. A lot of your work takes place at the nexus of transportation and energy. Tell me a little bit more about what that entails and what some of the benefits of that are, please. So there, of course, has been a lot of talk around electric vehicles and moving towards transportation electrification. And so this will reduce, you know, our carbon from the transportation industry, which is vital. It's critical. But part of the challenges that come with that is, of course, the infrastructure in place that's going to be needed to be built to support transportation electrification. Um, So we do need EV charging stations. And the NEVI program has been fantastic and a great first start in getting public charging stations installed across the country along our interstates. But there is also some additional improvements that we need to make in the grid, right? So as we continue to electrify, that's going to be a lot of load put on our grid and our grid is already at capacity. We can't even onboard renewable energy in the amount that we want to onboard. So for example, the MISO region is the mid-states. They're the grid operator. And they have only been able to onboard about 5% of the renewable energy projects that are asking to come online just because the grid cannot handle it, right? We don't have enough capacity. And so, you know, there's a lot of strain. There's a lot of pressure being put on our grid to onboard renewables and also to provide the energy load for electric vehicles. For passenger vehicles, the grid can basically, you know, be able to provide what we need. Some states are better equipped than others, but when we start getting into medium and heavy duty vehicles, the grid just does not have the capacity to be able to provide that much load. And the same thing with rail electrification. So we have got to upgrade the grid and we have got to build new transmission lines across the country. Part of the problem with building new transmission lines is that we often have public opposition to building those lines for various reasons, right? Because folks don't wanna see the overhead lines running across their property or across ecologically sensitive areas. Eminent domain is an issue. And especially for states that don't get the benefit of the transmission line where the transmission line just passes through, 
those states don't necessarily want the transmission lines to pass through. And so the public opposition means that those transmission lines are often not getting built. We actually haven't built significant interregional transmission in this country for about 25 years. And so here's where transportation can help. So we need in the transportation industry, we need more energy, we need more electricity, and we need it close to the roads to be able to charge the vehicles. And so what we can do is we can use the publicly available right-of-way, our roads, our roadsides, and we can bury high-voltage direct current transmission lines along our roadsides. We already allow utilities to be included in the transportation right-of-way. And so this could be an expansion of that that would have, you know, not just benefits for transportation and electrification and decarbonization of transportation, but also broader societal benefits to decarbonizing both the energy sector and the transportation sector. Laura, you talked about how I believe 26 states are involved with various projects with the Ray and a number of other agencies as well. For someone who's listening to this that would like to get involved with the Ray, how might they go about that? I would say give me a call or send me an email. (laughs) So I would love to have a conversation with anybody who wants to get involved with the Ray. We work better together, right? And so part of what we do, part of, of what we believe in is leveraging the partnerships to create efficiencies to create great projects. And so, yes, please give me a call and I'll talk to you directly or someone from my team who knows a lot more than I do. Uh, We'll get them in touch with you depending on what kind of project or, you know, whatever it is that you're interested in. We would love to have the conversation and see how we can partner together. And if you'd like to get in touch with Laura, we will have in the show notes a link to the Ray's website where you can quickly look up Laura's contact information and reach out to her. We've been talking on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast with Laura Rogers, the deputy director of the Ray. Laura, thanks so much for taking some time out to chat with me today. Thank you so much.